Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 80. One of Royal Caribbean's most popular ports to cruise from is Port Canaveral, and it's been home to many Royal Caribbean ships over the years. This week, let's discuss the basics of taking a Royal Caribbean cruise from Port Canaveral and what you need to know about getting to the port, what's around the area, and other helpful tips. Here we go. These days, Port Canaveral is one of the more busy ports that Royal Caribbean serves between cruises that home port out of Port Canaveral and other cruises that stop in. So there's a lot going on here, and I think for a lot of our listeners, this might be a great topic to discuss about how to take cruises out of Port Canaveral and, if you happen to be coming into Port Canaveral as part of a itinerary, what you can do in the area. So Port Canaveral, for those who aren't aware, is really Cape Canaveral, same area, and it's on the east coast of Florida about a little less than an hour from Orlando. So it's basically right on the Atlantic side of Florida, really halfway down the state from the top to bottom kind of thing. So it's about, I would say, somewhere in the ballpark of three, three and a half hours from Miami and probably another three hours north to Jacksonville. It's really right in the middle. And Royal Caribbean has been here for quite a while. You know, even though Miami and Port Everglades really get all the accolades as, you know, the premier uh, cruising port in Florida. Port Canaveral is really growing a lot. And actually, Royal Caribbean just finished building a brand new cruise terminal in Port Canaveral. It's called Terminal 1. And it's a new port that's going to be serving many Royal Caribbean ships. They're still going to be retaining their old terminal, which I believe was Terminal 10. And it's just because of the nature they need to, They need other ports. Or a lot of times, there are more than one Royal Caribbean ship in port. So again, they need that kind of capacity. But Depending on which cruise you take and what kind of the structure and schedule, you may or may not get to this new cruise port. Obviously, a new terminal is always nice. It gets new amenities. And all the photos I've seen of Terminal 1 look amazing, and I've heard rave reviews so far. So always a good thing, but you know, not a big deal if you had to cruise out of the old terminal as well. It's still quite nice. So let's talk about getting to Port Canaveral. More than likely, you are flying. We'll talk about flying, and then we'll talk about driving. So if you're flying in... There are a lot of airports in Florida that are, you can get to. Orlando is by far the easiest airport to come in and out of. I mean, if you come from Orlando, the there's a highway called 528. You hop on there, and it's a straight shot. Literally, you just drive until you run out of Florida, and then you run into the port. I mean, it, it's one of the easiest drives ever. There is a toll road, but it's very, very easy to get to. Now, you can uh, – once you're at the airport, there are a number of options. We should also talk about other airports as well. You've got airports – Daytona Beach is an airport – you could fly into, say, Fort Lauderdale. It's a little bit longer drive. We're talking about a couple hours there. Even Tampa. You know what? I think actually Tampa would be a shorter drive than Port Canaveral because I think Tampa's about an hour between Tampa and Orlando. And so another, like I said, about 45 minutes from Orlando to Port Canaveral. So it's about an hour and 45 minutes. Whereas I think from Fort Lauderdale, you're probably looking closer to two hours plus. Anyway, you've got options, certainly. But to get to the port, it's easiest from Orlando because there's a lot of options for you. Specifically, Royal Caribbean provides a transfer option, so they can take you from the airport directly to the terminal. The transfers are one-way increments, so you have to buy two of them, obviously, to get back and forth. And you can get more information probably from your travel issue, or you can call Royal Caribbean directly and book those as well. One of my favorite things to do, though, is to rent a car. I love renting a car here for a couple of reasons. Number one, I usually fly in before the cruise, so it gives me a little more flexibility. Uh, number two, it's actually a very economical option, especially... If you're cruising with more than, say, two or three people, because when you compare the price of renting a car or doing a one-way versus the Royal Caribbean transfer or a taxi, often it's a much better deal to do it on your own. Now, one of the advantages that Port Canaveral has with Orlando, as opposed to other ports, is there's a lot of great prices for rental cars here because Orlando is one of the most 
popular rental car locations like other than like Las Vegas in, in the United States. So there's a lot of competition, and competition breeds good prices usually. So you just need to do your homework in terms of getting one out there. But really, usually you can get a pretty good deal from renting a car from Orlando and dropping it off in Port Canaveral. There's some facilities for most of the major companies that allow you to do this. You got to make sure you get a check for one thing, which is the option that some rental car companies charge you of having a fee applied for doing a one-way transfer. Most don't, but some do. So you want to make sure you're not getting charged that because that'll blow out the price completely. But what I like to do is you'll drive out to that port the morning of. You return the car, obviously. But what I like to do and what I recommend people do, actually, instead of going naturally, you'd say, okay, I'm going to go return the car. And then there'll be a shuttle that'll bring you to the port. But the problem with that is the shuttle is usually like a, a van, and obviously, there's a lot of other people doing the same thing. It can get very crowded, and there can be lines. So what I recommend doing is actually, when you get into the port, go drop off your family, drop off all your luggage. So basically, just you are left in the car as the driver, and you as the driver go back to the rental car facility, which is about maybe a mile or two away. Almost all the major companies are very, very close. And you return the car, but then you, as the only driver, can, can take the shuttle back. And even when the what happens is the shuttles usually fill up because they run out of space for luggage more quickly than they do because they run out of space for people. So often is the case, you'll find that the van, you know, which is like a 15-passenger van, will fill up, and they won't be able to take any more luggage, but they could take an extra person who just, you know, literally has no nothing other than themselves to bring, and that can be a really great option. And that way, you, the shuttle brings you back, you know, and it'll save you some time, and it makes it so much easier. So something I highly recommend uh, to do, especially. Now, there are also town car services and taxis that are available. Again, it depends on where your money is, what you're looking to do, but those are options that are available to you, and it's a pretty easy drive, i got to say. Now, if you're looking to say near the port, this is, of course, assuming you want to come in straight from Orlando and go over to Port Canaveral, or perhaps you're looking to maybe do something like at Walt Disney World in the area, Universal Studios, kind of do the theme park stuff before. But if you're looking to go straight to the port area and kind of hang out over there, certainly, then there's a lot of options in the Port Canaveral area. Port Canaveral is uh, very smaller. It's actually physically it's the port. And then surrounding it, you have Cape Canaveral, you have Merritt Beach, and even below that, you have Satellite Beach, and you have Melbourne. This is a big touristy area. It's, um, it's a big beach town, certainly. And there's a lot to choose from, in fact, if you're looking for hotels and good competition. Again, competition uh, prices, you just sort of price things out. But if you're looking for a good option for a hotel, either the night before or maybe a couple nights before, maybe you're looking at, you know, you're going in the summertime, you want to have a little beach time there. Why not, right? The two hotels that are really good are the Residence Inn and Country Inn and Suites. Now, both of those provide a free shuttle, and they also have park options at the hotel. So if you're coming down, if you're driving to Florida from you know a surrounding area and you've got a car that you need to keep for the week, it can actually be a lot cheaper for you to book a hotel, and then you get to park the car for the week, and the price ends up being cheaper than the price of parking, say, at the pier. Now, there are parking options at the port. It's certainly the most convenient option, but it's not going to be the most inexpensive option. In fact, there are lots of other parking options around the area, and you know, it can, there's you got to do your research. There's a couple different lots that are available for you to choose from, and they can definitely save you a lot of money. Certainly, it's something at least like fifty percent off, probably if not more. You just got to kind of figure out what's good for you. They're generally fine. They're generally safe. I wouldn't. I would have no problems with them. So just do a Google search for you know Port Canaveral parking. And you'll find a lot of different options for you. Speaking of cars and driving, we mentioned already flying in. If you're driving to the area, it's pretty easy to go down. Basically, what you want to come down is I-95 or come up from I-95, depending on which direction you're coming from. But if you're coming from north of Florida, 
wherever you're coming from. You want to essentially get over to 95, and that's the main highway that goes from, from Key West, Florida, all the way up to Maine. But it's it runs along the east coast of Florida. So if you're coming from, obviously, somewhere in the east coast, it's pretty, pretty simple for you. If you're coming from the Midwest or anywhere west of Florida, you'll want to cut over to 95. A lot of times people find it easier, depending on where you're coming from, to maybe you know take different highways that eventually lead into 95. But if you can, it probably makes the most amount of sense just to come straight across there, and then it's really simple. You just take I-95 to Route 528. That's that uh, Beach Line Expressway I mentioned earlier, and it brings you right over. It's one of the easiest ports, honestly, to drive in and out of. I, I really struggle to think of ports that are easier. Maybe perhaps Port Everglades is simpler because it is a really simple port. But this one, what's what's interesting about this is really nothing around it. It's just the port, and you know, you've know you got the beach areas to the south of it, but the actual port area is just <laughs> it's literally just a port area. So very, very simple. Now, if you're looking for stuff to do, we mentioned Walt Disney World, and that's about, again, 45 minutes or so away, Universal Studios. And these are things, by the way, if you're coming into a cruise that is coming to Port Canaveral for the day, this is a toughie because the problem with most of these cruises, you got to check what time you arrive at Port Canaveral. A lot of them arrive like around 11 a.m. noontime, and it's kind of a weird time because best case scenario, you're probably not going to make it out to the theme parks but until like 1, 2 o'clock which is a terrible time to go to the theme parks because it's the most crowded. It's going to be the hottest of the day, and you've essentially wasted the entire morning. Well, you didn't waste it. You weren't there. You missed out on the entire morning, and that can really be detrimental in terms of actually doing stuff, and you're paying a lot of money for it, by the way. I mean, often these parks now are charging about $100 a day for park passes unless you buy a multi-day pass where the price breaks down a little bit better. But, you know, just something to keep in mind for this in terms of something to do. Now, I think what a lot of people tend to do is they tend to stay closer to the port. Certainly, the big thing to do around Port Canaveral is, of course, the Kennedy Space Center. This is NASA's facility there. There's a number of different options. There's there's the Astronaut Hall of Fame. There's the actual, uh, you can see a space shuttle. There's a whole different bunch of options there. And I've heard very good things about it, in fact. I think it's it's a lot, and you don't necessarily have to be a space buff or a geek to enjoy this kind of thing. I think it's a lot of history, and it's something really to be proud of as an American to enjoy. And certainly if you're not from the United States, I think it's really impressive nonetheless to be able to see this kind of really human history that's taken place here over the years. And it's certainly the attraction in the area. There's no question about it. The other big thing to do, of course, are the beaches. And we mentioned earlier, Cocoa Beach is the beach that's very close to Port Canaveral. It's probably a five to ten minute ride, depending on how you get there. And there, there's a lot of little beaches and parks, and they're all very nice. It's nothing, you know, they, they want to make anyone's top ten list of beaches in the world. But, hey, it's still a nice beach in Florida. And if you're there during the warmer months of the year, it's a great place to go. For swimming, that is. If you're coming during the winter months, it may not be so warm out, and the water temperature in the Atlantic can certainly be not as warm as, say, the Caribbean or the Gulf of Mexico, so keep that in mind. There are, though, a lot of tourist areas all up and down A1A, which is the road that kind of goes perpendicular with I-95. It basically goes right on the beach. It's really that small little road there. You probably heard about it in Florida. It's just this major thoroughfare. It's it's not a major thoroughfare because it's a very small road, but it's a major minor thir- thoroughfare of uh, restaurants and stores and shopping. It's really, it's a great place to actually drive. And I really, if you're coming into Port Canaveral for the day, I highly recommend renting a car because there's a lot in the area, but it's all very much spread out. To walk it, eh, you'd be walking a lot. And I, might, I wouldn't really recommend, especially if you're coming in the winter, in the uh, summer months, rather, it can get very warm there. And let's face it, in Florida, it's warm there pretty much all during the year, no matter when you're there. So 
again, renting a car is the easiest thing to do. There's lots of rental car companies right next to the port, as I mentioned earlier. So research those, and they have free shuttles that will bring you back and forth. And certainly renting a car in the United States is pretty straightforward. So I wouldn't hesitate to do that. And kind of it gives you a little opportunity to explore. You get to drive out a little bit, see some of the area. I mean, the honestly, Brevard County, which is where this is at, is there's not a whole lot out there outside of the tourist area. Once, once you leave the beach and start going inland, there's really not a lot between Port Canaveral and, say, Orlando. I mean, it's just it's it's nothing. It's just trees and swamps and, and not a whole lot else. I mean, there are some other things. You can drive further south and you'll run into towns like Melbourne and uh, some other options that are available to you. I mean, it kind of depends what you're looking for. But really, this is beach country, and this is you know kind of touristy country. If you're looking for culture, the Space Center, I mean, let's not be little, of course, the theme parks. I just think the time for a lot of these cruise ships is not very good. I think they arrive way too late. And when you consider the time it takes you to get back and forth and return the car and get the car, oftentimes it's just it's kind of like, okay, well, is six hours worth it to you in a theme park? It's tough to say, and I wouldn't recommend it for someone who's never been there because it's just like it, it's a big tease is what it is. But um, now we talk about cruise ships. We didn't actually talk about which Royal Caribbean ships are serving out of Port Canaveral, at least have as of the recording of this podcast. And we've got a couple. Freedom of the Seas is the premier ship that's over there, and that is offers seven-night cruises of the Eastern and Western Caribbean. We talked about Freedom of the Seas last week. You heard a lot about that. There's also Enchantment of the Seas, which we talked about like two or three weeks ago, and that does three- and four-night cruises out of Port Canaveral as well. And recently, Explorer of the Seas just joined the group, and it's performing a number of different cruises. Uh, kind of depends on what's going on. It won't. I don't, Explorer won't be there forever, but it is another option that's available to you. And uh, other ships stop by. Quantum of the Seas stops there, I know for a fact. In fact, most of the ships that stop in Port Canaveral are the ones coming up from north, so Grandeur of the Seas can do that as well. That comes out of Baltimore. Quantum of the Seas out of New York, New Jersey. And uh, that's pretty much it. I'm not sure if there's a Boston cruise or two that may come down here, but that's essentially what you're looking at in terms of uh, cruise ships, Royal Caribbean ships that stop in the area of Port Canaveral. One other thing I wanted to mention was stocking up on supplies. Of course, you know, right before your cruise, you want to maybe buy a couple things that you weren't able to fly down with or didn't want to pack or didn't, whatever the reason. If you're looking to get stuff for your cruise, like, say, bottles of wine, right? You want to bring your two bottles of wine for your per stateroom to get that in there. Perhaps you're looking to... Uh, stock up on some other things, you know, maybe some liquids that you didn't like shampoo and stuff like that. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff south of the port. So basically, if you're coming from 528, if you drive straight, you'll go to the port. If you bang a right and hit, I'm not sure if it's Route 1 or A1A, but you'll see. It basically says, you know, down to like uh, Merritt Beach. It'll bring you down to the main road there. And there's a lot to choose from. There's gas stations if you just want something really quick. If you drive far enough, probably another mile or two, you'll hit a major supermarket. It's called Publix. It's a big supermarket in Florida. There's a lot. I mean, there's Walmarts. I mean, it really, if you're looking to stock up on supplies or maybe, oops, we forgot to buy, we forgot to pack shorts or something important. I mean, I've done this before. I, I don't know if I ever told the story on the podcast. There was one cruise. I think it was actually my, my honeymoon cruise. I forgot to pack socks. Don't ask. Didn't forget. I didn't remember to do it. So these are things you might want to do before your cruise, if you remember. And they're very close to the port. Again, this is like, if you've got a rental car, this is what's great about it. It's probably, you know, it's an extra five or ten minute drive at the most. It's very, very close, really, just a couple of miles. And getting back is really easy. This is what I love about Canaveral. Very easy to navigate because it's all flat. It's not very complicated. It's really just a north-south kind of road structure once you're in there. And pretty simple to hit. I also want to share some quick tips about Port Canaveral. I'll call this my lightning round of tips regarding Port Canaveral. If you're going 
on a cruise that leaves from Port Canaveral, so it's home ported in Port Canaveral. Number one, I always recommend getting to the port early. I say this in general, but Port Canaveral is definitely one. And I say you should probably be at the port somewhere between the time of 10 and 11 a.m. I usually leave, or like we just stay in Orlando because we're doing, you know, maybe the theme park thing before. But I recommend probably getting to the port around 10, 1030. By that point, most of the guests are off and they're going to start letting you into the terminal to check in. What happens is a lot of people will be coming in during the afternoon rush and it can get very crowded there. So again, getting there early, doing like the 10, 1030, and some people can get there even earlier, honestly, but you know, plan yourself accordingly. Don't forget if you're renting, returning a car, that's going to take a little extra time. If you're going to park off site, that's going to take a little extra time. So keep all that in mind. Number two, if you are going with someone who is wants to is not going on a cruise with you, but wants to see you sail away, or wants to, if you maybe you're just in the area and you want to see a Royal Caribbean ship leave because you happen to be there and you want to do sail away, I hate doing that personally because it it makes me so jealous. It's like no, take me with you. But if you want to see it or you have a friend who wants to go see the ships leave, the best place to see it is going to be Jetty Park. It's actually all the way at the end of the channel where the cruise ship sleeps. It's a great place. It's actually a nice beach. There's a campground. It's a great place to see the ship sleep. You'll see a lot of other people there as well. It's definitely a good choice if you're looking to see cruise ships sleep, whether it be Royal Caribbean or, or any other ships that happen to be there. Great spot. Also, if you're looking to see the ships leave and you maybe want to have a drink with them, maybe you want a little festivity, you know, you're you're trying, maybe you're like me and you get a little jealous and teary-eyed, like, oh, I wish I was on that cruise. Well, you know what? A couple drinks will cheer you right up. And a great place is this real little restaurant called Fish Lips. It's well-known among locals there. It's a restaurant that's right on the water. You'll hear tons of loud music and people drinking, and you can see the ships literally sail right past you. Great little spot there as well. So for anyone who's looking to do any of that, Jetty Park, Fish Lips, two really good options for seeing the ship's leave. Number three, if you're looking for, I call it cheesy, tourist trap, Floridian kind of gift shop, if you really just want that kind of thing, it's hard to beat the Ron John Surf Shop in Cocoa Beach. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it is a massive option for you to be able to get really like anything, all towels, t-shirts, alligator heads, all those weird things that are typical Floridian stuff. It's actually really interesting. Honestly, it, it's such a spectacle of itself that you kind of have to check it out. So I, if you're looking for something to do, check out the Ron John Surf Shop. It's hard to go wrong there. And lastly, number four, be sure to check the Kennedy Space Center website for any rocket launches that can happen in the air. Of course, Pork and Arrow doesn't do shuttle launches anymore, but they do launch rockets from time to time. And, you know, you never know. It might be around when you're there. It's a very cool experience. And obviously, being on your cruise ship is probably one of the best places to see it because you don't have as much competition everywhere else. You'll see traffic and, and tons of people all around trying to get a glimpse. So being on the ship, you get a perfect view of it. Odds are it's probably not going to happen, but you never know, and it's definitely worth checking out because it's one of those, honestly, once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunities. So there you go. Enjoy Port Canaveral. It's a great port. All right, it's listener question time, and we're going to start actually with an iTunes review because, as you all know, I really appreciate everyone who takes a little bit of time to leave a nice review in iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. It makes me feel good about myself, and otherwise is a good opportunity for everybody involved. And we're going to start with our review from Guru Cook, who writes, Matt, I look forward to listening to your podcast every week. I like how you're always on top of all the news related to Royal Caribbean. Thanks for your hard work. Awesome, Guru Cook. Thank you so much. And next, we have an email from Sean Wallace. And Sean writes, 
just returned from a New Year's Eve cruise on Vision of the Season wanted to report in. We had a fantastic time on the ship and itinerary. Vision was in excellent shape after last year's refurbishment. The addition of Izumi, Giovanni's, and Chef's Table made for great options besides the main dining room and shops. We tried all the specialty restaurants on board and had a great experience, and food was all of them was wonderful. The windjam air was also good for breakfast and lunch and really never felt crowded, and we always found a table right away. Also, exclusive to Vision of the Seas is a sushi experience, which leads you through to make your own sushi rolls. Oh, cool. My daughter and I had a great time learning how to make a spicy tuna roll, crunchy tempura shrimp roll, shrimp nigri roll, and a sushi shaped like a flower bouquet wrap. My girls love the activities on the ship. My older daughter also wanted to go back to Adventure Ocean, and my younger daughter loved the nursery. The only critique is the nursery hours in the afternoon were rigid, two to four, compared to on alert where it wasn't rigid at all. The in-room babysitting wasn't an option for us because not enough crew volunteered, but this guy was ready for our Lure of the Seas cruise where Nora and Deva will be in Adventure Ocean. The New Year's activities were a lot of fun, and there were a lot of places around the ship to celebrate, from orchestra in the Centrum to DJ Ron in the Viking Crown Lounge to a party outdoors by the pool. They passed out free champagne right before midnight and even gave out hats and noisemakers at dinner. As far as the ports, we love them all. Roatan, we went to Parrot Tree Plantation Beach Resort. The beach and pool were great. I'm not sure if this is new, but the entrance fee was given back to us fully in credit for food and drinks. The only surprise for us was the taxi to the to and from the port, 80 bucks. Uh, the fee mentioned, the entrance fee was new. I didn't get my money back on that. I can tell you that very much. The cost, I don't know about the what you pay for. The, I mean, the 80 bucks for the taxi, I understand. We paid a driver to drive us around, and we did, I think we only went there, actually. So it's probably, we probably overpaid, honestly. But that sounds about right. It's a kind of a hike, honestly, but it's a great place. Love it. Back to Sean's email. Belize, we almost didn't get off because of the rain, but it cleared up enough to go on shore and catch the Calypso train tour. It was an interesting history tour of Belize City. Cozumel, we went to Playa Maya for the kids' water park and slides. They loved it the past few times. Great place for toddlers and older kids as well. It also includes an aqua park, paddle boats, and kayaks. Food is buffet and fine. They offer four different packages for the day. And in Costa Maya, last but definitely not least, we went to Maya Chan. This is by far the best beach we've ever been to. It was relaxing and a great day. The staff makes it feel like family. Food is wonderful, which was a taco bar, including steak, chicken, pulled pork, and grilled fish. I would book a ship just for stopping Costa Maya. It's that good. Only thing, it's a very bumpy road to the resort, but that's out of their control. Sean, I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but I love Maya Chan. I went there on Oasis of the Seas, and I agree with a thousand percent with everything Sean said. In fact, I would spend hours talking about Maya Chan. It is one of the best all-inclusive beach resorts I've ever been to anywhere. It's just, I think it's really what it is to the staff. They are, most of them, I don't know if it's the same still when you were there, Sean, but when I was there, they were all American expats, and maybe there was one or two locals there, but they were, I, there was some, they just really were genuinely interested in making sure you had a good time there, and the food was amazing, the drink service was, I mean, you know, you go to, sometimes you go to all-inclusive resorts, and, you know, you get all the drinks you can want, but a lot of times they're kind of stingy on the booze, right? They're like, all right, here's your, you know, house vodka or whatever. Whatever you wanted. Here, Maya Chan was like, please, <laughs> top shelf, whatever you want. Tell me how we can make your thing better. In fact, there are many times the owner would come around and be like, what can we do to make it better for you guys? Really, and for the money, it's it's an amazing thing. I do agree with the bumpy road. I do remember that now that you mentioned it, but totally worth it. And if we were going to Costa Maya tomorrow, oh, I wish that was the case, I would definitely go back to my age. No, I wouldn't even research anything else. I, I really don't care. I would go back in a heartbeat. So good report. Thank you, Sean, for all that information. Next, we have an email from Paul Jones from Marlowe, England. Hi, Matt. Once again, I have to commend you on your outstanding show. Out of 77 episodes, it's very hard to choose a favorite, but 
All were very well presented by yourself and your guests, and all were very informative, giving and helping us save money, and most of all, have a wonderful cruising time with Royal Caribbean. I have two cruises in 2015, a 13-night and 14-night cruise on Anthem of the Seas. I would just like to ask if you know which restaurants were on board. Hmm, which restaurants are going to be on board Anthem of the Seas? So we don't know the answer. Uh, no one does. More than likely, it's going to be very, very close to what we already have on Quantum of the Seas. There may be like one or two restaurants that may differ. And certainly, if you look at, like, say, the Oasis class and see that, like, you know, they didn't have the Seafood Shack when they launched. They had Rita's Cantina. You know, they had it, it all kind of changes. But most of the basic restaurants, I'd expect all the Royal Caribbean restaurants to be there. So I think all the, again, these are this is just a guess. But I'm, I'm assuming the complimentary restaurants will be pretty much the same. I could see Wonderland being there. I'm pretty sure that it's been confirmed that Devonly Decadence will be on there as well. So there's not going to be a whole lot of differentiation. I mean, these ships are usually very close to each other with a little changes here and there. But no one knows for sure, and we'll probably get that kind of information in the next couple months. I mean, the ship launches like not, not, in just a few months, honestly. So sooner or later, we're going to know the answer to this. Paul adds, I've thought about what food I enjoy, what restaurants I like on Anthem of the Seas, and I made a list. If you had an empty cruise ship and asked to put your favorite restaurants, what restaurants would you include? Wow. Here's his list. Number one, Chops Grill. Number two, Johnny Rockets. Silk. Izumi. Michael's Genuine Pub. Sabor. Jamie's Italian. Definitely Decadence. Doghouse. And our Royal Caribbean favorites, the Windjamere Sorrento's Cafe Promenade British Pub. Thanks again for the last 77 great episodes. That's a good question. What what restaurants would I put on a ship? I like your list a lot, honestly. Uh, I would think the only things I would add... I haven't had Jamie's Italian. I'll be, I actually booked it on Quantum. He's coming up here in March, so I'll be checking that out. The doghouse I had on Quantum was good. I, I didn't love it, and I'm not sure it would make my top 10 list. Honestly, I'd probably add the Grand. I think of the restaurants I ate at... On Quantum of the Seas, the complimentary ones, the Grand, I thought, was the best food I ate there. I, I mean, I wanted Silk to be really good. I don't think it quite reached that level. So maybe I'd swap out the Grand for, for Silk just for the food purposes. But you got a really strong choice there, Paul. So very good stuff. Thank you for the email. Next, we have an email from Kyle Piran. Hi, Matt. It's been a long time since I emailed, but my next cruise is coming up in 86 days. And I need some advice from you and your trusty podcast family. That's right. We're all family here, right? We're all, we're all friends, certainly. And I and I really do believe that. No, no joke. I think all of you that email me here and, and Facebook and join the message boards and tweet me, I really consider you my friends. And, and you know what? I think Kyle's right. We're all family here, right? Totally agree. All right, Kyle. Now that I've completely gone off the on a tangent here from me. Let's get back to it. I'll be sailing on an adventure of the seas for a seven-night Southern Caribbean cruise out of San Juan. The ports of call include Barbados, St. Lucia, Antigua, St. Martin, and St. Croix. I've never been to Puerto Rico either, so the departure port will be like an extra port in and of itself. I've been listening to episode 57 about old San Juan as many times as possible to prepare. Anyway, I want to take full advantage of these wonderful exotic ports. I'm not sure when I'll be able to get back to this part of the Caribbean again. Do you or other podcast listeners have any can't-miss suggestions for these ports? Perhaps you can talk a little bit about the differences between a Southern Caribbean itinerary as opposed to the more standard Eastern and Western sailings, too. Man, what a question. Let me look at the time. All right. We've got another 30 minutes, right? No one minds. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this. This is a great itinerary, by the way. I did this exact itinerary on Jewel of the Seas back in, what was it, 2014? 2013, whenever it was, a couple years ago. I, 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 so many great cruises. It's hard to keep track of them all. All right. So the difference between Southern Caribbean... So Southern Caribbean are... I think I think they're more eclectic ports. They're certainly more port-based. When you do Eastern or Western, you're probably doing three port days, four sea days. On Southern Caribbean, you're doing... On a seven-night cruise, you're going to do six port days, one sea day. Big difference. 
Now, most of them are really, really nice. St. Croix, I hate to say it because it's an American territory. It's a dump. I really didn't enjoy it. I could have done without getting off the ship here. I, I mean, it's... We went to a beach. It was nice. I didn't love it. Honestly, again, I probably would have just saved the money and stayed on the ship and maybe just gotten out to get, you know, a, a cheap beer on the island. But really, it was not very attractive. And, and compared to the other islands, maybe that's just the problem. But the other islands are really, really nice here. So let's go through them really quickly. St. Martin, I've done a whole episode about that. You can actually check out back in episode 40. Talked all about it. You'll get plenty of information there. I'm not going to read myself about that. In Antigua, one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever been to is Antigua Valley Church Beach. Just get a driver, pick up a taxi somewhere on the island there. You get off the port, find someone who's not terribly pushy, and say, I'd like to go to Valley Church Beach, please. One of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. I mean, just unbelievable. So you got to go there. Uh, For St. Lucia, St. Lucia's got beautiful beaches. It's very expensive here. The thing to see is the Tetons. There are these two massive, I I call them mountains. I don't know what they are, hills. They're they're really, it's one of the most, it's supposed to be spectacular. The problem with it is it's, the taxi prices were just unbelievable. And it would have taken like, I want to say like two hours to get there by car, by taxi. Now we had young children at the time. We weren't willing to do that. So we went to a little beach closer. I infamously got ripped off on... <laughs> so I don't know if I told this story. I'll tell it. We went to this beach here really quick in, in St. Lucia. It was just it was a nice little beach. It was fine. We didn't want to drive two hours. So we, we asked the driver, hey, can you just bring us somewhere that's a nice beach, somewhere with some drinks, some food? Okay, so he brought us here. It was fine. It was near like a Sandals resort. It was. We had a great time. Don't, don't get me wrong. So this guy comes around, one's locals, and he's in this little boat. And I, basically, I think this guy goes in this boat. He goes from beach to beach to beach selling tourists drinks you know like uh, you you can buy beer you can buy those coconuts filled with with drink with whatever alcohol okay whatever he was a very nice guy his name was Smokey, and we really hit it off i mean really 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 hit it off like it was i mean he wasn't like you know we were you know, we're buying his drinks he's being a nice guy back to us it was kind of the point you know we were chatting i thought we really got to know him really well and me and my friend we were buying a lot of beers from the guy because you know why not right so we're drinking the beers. We're having a great time. It's the local beer of the island. I think we paid something like, I think he was charging us like two for, I'm not sure if it was two for $5 or two for like $10, whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter. We had a great time. We get back to port. We get back to the ship. We get off the, my family went back to the to shower and everything. I want a little more time. I think there was like free internet somewhere. So I wanted to walk around the port area. And the port area, let me put this way, the port area is not known for its deals on drinks, okay? It can be decent, but usually they're giving you really the, they're, they're, you know, they're getting you as tourists, right? Anyway, I go there and everywhere I go, the beers are like half the price of what we got from our good friend Smokey. So <laughs> he was a nice guy, but man, we got ripped off on beers. I'll tell you that. We paid like double the price essentially is what it was. And we're like, oh, oh well. It was, still, it was all fun, right? Now I get to tell a story out of it. No worries. So there's that. Anyway, it's a long story about St. Lucia. Barbados, another beautiful island. We did a tour. It's a, there's a lot to see and do here, including the birthplace of one of my favorite singers, Rihanna. Sorry, it's my guilty pleasure, but there's that. There's a lot to see and do here. We did a tour. It was actually probably one of the better van tours that I did. I don't usually love van tours, but it was kind of a neat little thing. You got What was great about it is there's so much to do in Barbados in terms of history, culture, and beach that this was kind of like, okay, let's just shove it all together and have a little bit of everything. And it was fun. Honestly, we had a good time. I did it as part, actually, of a cruise critic group. Someone booked it. Someone was like, here, this is what we're going to do. If you want in, they got a good price. I think it was like 10 or $15 a head. It wasn't terrible. And you know what? We had a good time. I think the group helped. We were all kind of, you know 
people who kind of got the Royal Caribbean vibe here, and we had a great time. So certainly something to, to see and do in Barbados. I will post a link in the show notes. The, the name of it is Tyrone Griffith Barbados Tour, and I'll have a link. There's photos, and I did a whole review on it. It's not bad, honestly. If you want to see Barbados really quick and see everything, it's not a bad little tour to, to do. So some good stuff there. Essentially, it's really, again, Southern Caribbean is land-based. It's a lot more going from port to port. It's kind of like a European cruise, where European cruises, you're going from port to port to port. Same thing here. But I really like the exoticness of these ports. It's There's a little more culture, a little more history, and it's a little different. It's less touristy in a lot of these places, honestly, even though they're all catered to tourists. It just feels more authentic a lot of these places than, say, St. Thomas or Cozumel, right? So, I really like it, Kyle. I think you're going to have a great time. Good luck. Let us know how what, what you find there and what your experience is like. I love hearing, just like Sean emailed us earlier, want to hear about you know what worked, what didn't work, all that good stuff. Next email from Christopher Percy. Christopher! I feel like I should do that every time we read his email. Christopher writes... Uh, in episode 77, Top 5, Enchantment of the Seas, Michael is definitely a super fan of Enchantment of the Seas. The uniqueness of the ship is very special. We've been on all the Vision-class ships and have enjoyed them all. The new ships, like Oasis, Quantum, may have size and the wow factor. However, ships like Enchantment have the intimacy and comfort that is also very enjoyable. In addition, the cost of cruising on the ship is very affordable as well. No upcharges is quite nice. You know, I agree about the small ships, you know, the, the Vision class and the Radiance class. You know, they don't get the attention, they don't get the commercials about them, but they are a great ship for the value, A. B, the places they go, they're usually kind of, enchantment goes to the Bahamas, but, you know, other ships are usually going to a little more interesting ports. And and honestly, it's what, there's a lot in these ships. And the Royal Revitalization Program that went across the whole fleet and added a lot of new features and just otherwise refurbished these ships really made a difference in, the, in these two classes of ships. So I would not hesitate, Christopher, like you said there, to check out the ships. It's a great thing. I highly recommend it. Next email from Chris from Hoffman Estate, Illinois. Just finished listening to episode 77, Top 5 Enchantment of the Seas. Great episode. It brought back a wonderful memory, my first cruise on Enchantment of the Seas. I was really impressed with the list. It wasn't the typical top five you'd expect, truly from the heart, which is what the Enchantment of the Seas is all about. It's nowhere near the big ships, but it's full of meaning and soul. I'm always impressed with your show topics, and I'm hoping to see more top five for each ship. Well, I appreciate the email, Chris. Very nice comment, certainly. And you know what? I w- I'm really looking forward to doing the top five of a number of more ships. I don't want to keep you know, just going back to the well for week after week after week, but there's a lot to do. I'd love to do, I don't know, what should I do for the next one? Hmm. I could I could see Navigator of the Seas. I could see, we did Freedom already. We could do Oasis. We could, maybe we'll do Jewel. That might be a, not a bad idea. We're talking about the small class ships. Couple different options. Hmm, I'll have to think about that one. Which one to do? Tough choice. We'll get to them all. Well, trust me, we'll get more and more. Quantum we haven't done. I mean, there's there's a lot to choose from. And, you know, I, I appreciate the email. Thank you very much for, for reaching out to us about that. Also, uh, Tom and Diane Trednowski sent me an email about Enchantment. I'm going to be keeping this trend going here. This is for your information, those arches on the top deck are part of the structure right over the section they added. They are not just for show, but are weight-bearing like a bridge that allows the ship to flex and torsion properly when the new midsection was added. It's amazing. She's a great ship. We sailed on her in 2012. She did Baltimore, Bermuda, Boston, Newport, a fabulous itinerary, and we spent two nights in Bermuda. You know, Enchantment was, when they announced Enchantment was coming to uh, Port Canaveral, bring it all back about the beginning of the episode. See, see all the synergy I'm talking about here? <laughs> when they announced that Enchantment was coming down there, it had re- previously been sailing out of Baltimore, as, as Tom mentioned. And, you know, 
when I when they announced it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's this is an amazing ship because that Baltimore is not a little port. I mean, it's not something that you know that's just oh by the way we're doing cruises out here. Royal Caribbean's had a presence in Baltimore for quite a while, and it was you know I knew back then they were doing some good stuff out of there. So this is certainly a a really good um, option. So I again. I can't say more nice things about Enchantment of the Season. Certainly, hear all these emails about them. It's not just us who are crazy about this kind of thing. You really have to check it out as well. Next, we have an email from our good friend, Paul Westbrook. Good day, my friend. Just a question. We might be cruising with my in-laws on or around their 50th wedding anniversary. Is there a best way to get them on the Love and Marriage game show and at the same time get my wife to not want us on the same show? Just kidding. Man, how to get on the Love and Marriage game show. So the way they get people on there are by volunteers from the audience. And it's not just volunteers from the audience. It's volunteers from the audience who compete amongst each other. So they'll have three different groups, right? You'll have the newlyweds. You'll have the people that have been married for a little bit. And then basically like your in-laws, the 50th wedding anniversary. The good news is there's usually the least amount of competition for the last category, for the people that have been married for a long time. But they usually have to do something to earn it. My recommendation, Paul, is you go to YouTube, search for Royal Caribbean Love Marriage Game Show, and see what other people have done to win. I know for, like, if you're, like, the young couple and you want to win, for the guy, just take off your shirts, twirl in the air, and, like, you have to show your passion for them. You know, for, for the man, for the woman, and, like, you have to show it. So, you know, take the shirt off, rip it off, you know, and, like, hug her and twirl all around. I mean, that's usually a go-to thing, but... For your in-laws, that's probably... I mean, you could try it. <laughs> It'd be a great spectacle. Basically, you got to get everyone to clap for you and, and get in there. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> they kind of have to make a spectacle of themselves in one way or another. That's basically the way to do it. If you're going to go up there and just kiss, it's not quite the same thing. But, you know, it's kind of... Again, put yourself out there a little bit, and that's probably the best way to do it. My best advice, so... Good luck, and I hope that they get on there and you and your wife do not, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Last email is from Bill Carney. I'm preparing for my upcoming cruise on Celebrity, and I'd appreciate your advice on iPhone settings while cruising. How do you set up your iPhone to avoid charges for data usage? I figured you must be the guru of efficient data usage while cruising. Thanks for your help. P.S. I'm thinking there might be a whole show's worth of advice on device connectivity. I think you're right about that, Bill. I'm going to have to tackle that. But I want to answer your question about how to set up your iPhone to avoid charges for data usage. So there's two ways to do this. And by the way, this will work essentially, not not obviously like each exact step, but the concept for what I'm about to do will work for pretty much any smartphone that's out there. Basically, if you leave your phone on, what's going to happen is it's going to connect to Royal Caribbean's internal cellular network, which it provides for phone usage. The problem is to use that when your smartphone is going to go out to data, your smartphone always uses data for almost all the time. It's going to go out to find the weather. It's going to go whatever apps you have on there are going to try to get data from time to time, even when you're not actively using them. It's just the nature of smartphones. So the problem is, if you're connected to Royal Caribbean's network, is it's going to go out, get the data, and you're going to get charged twice. First, you're going to get hit by Royal Caribbean, and then you're going to get hit by whatever your carrier's roaming charges, because you're roaming, you're off their network. So ATT, Verizon, whoever it is, you're off their network, so you're going to get a major charge. And there are people that get, honestly, like horror stories about the kind of charges they get on their phones when, when this happens. So you want to make sure this doesn't happen. The easiest guaranteed way not for this to happen is to put your phone in what's called airplane mode. Most phones have this. In an iPhone, it's very easy. You go to your settings, and the very first option, there's a little switch called airplane mode. You turn it on, it will turn off your Wi-Fi, it'll turn off your Bluetooth, it'll turn off your cellular network. There, It's basically like having a really, really expensive iPod. There's no way it's connecting to the internet. You can turn on your Wi-Fi while still in airplane mode. This is what I recommend. 
keep your phone in airplane mode, then turn, go back into settings and make sure you turn your Wi-Fi on. That way you can either connect to Royal Caribbean's Wi-Fi, you connect to the Wi-Fi maybe in one of the ports you're visiting. It's the best way, honestly, to stay connected and avoid those kind of charges. Now, there is another option that's a little more in, involved to be able to do, but basically, if you turn your phone on, this is for iPhone, and you go to again, you go to the settings uh, app, and there's a little option called cellular. In the latest version of my phone, as of the recording of this podcast, it's the fourth option. You see airplane mode, you see Wi-Fi, you see Bluetooth, and then you see cellular. Click on cellular, and then there's a little option called data roaming. Turn that bad boy off. Basically, what this will do is even if your phone does connect to Royal Caribbean's cellular network, it won't go out and use data when you're on there. Now, if you make a phone call, you're, you're out of luck. But it won't use the data because it will won't, it won't allow it to do that. So this is probably the easy... These are the two ways to do it. I prefer doing, honestly, just putting the phones in airplane mode and then going to the Wi-Fi and turning that on if you choose to connect to the Wi-Fi, either, again, on Royal Caribbean or elsewhere. It's the most guaranteed way to avoid those kind of charges. The cellular data thing does work as well and allows you to keep your phone on, but I just don't see a benefit to it, honestly. I think you're... It's like... It's like playing with fire, but a little less fire. So I don't think it's worth it. Airplane mode, turn the Wi-Fi on if you need to. Otherwise, what's great about it is you keep your airplane mode on and and it will, it, and your battery will last forever. It's amazing how long your battery lasts when you turn your airplane mode on. But easiest way to do it. And I, I think, Bill, we should probably do a show about connectivity and kind of the options available to you, both on shore and on the ship. So good stuff there. And of course, we want to hear from you as well. If you've got your questions, comments, anything about Royal Caribbean, honestly, whatever's on your mind. There's a lot going on these days with the Royal Caribbean. I want to hear about it. This is your forum. I've created this podcast for you to be a, a, really a part of it. So I don't want to just hear me talking. I want to hear me talking, reading your emails. And we'll do that. So you can email matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. M-E-T-T at royalcaribbeanblog.com. And we'll read them on an upcoming episode. Thank you all to everybody who left us an iTunes review, everyone who emailed, everyone who listens. Thank you all so much. For, I really, really appreciate it. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.